Do you feel stuck and unmotivated? Want to create your dream life but don't know where to begin? If you're interested in improving your relationships, communication skills, or feeling more comfortable in your skin, I can help. Together we can determine what's holding you back from living your best life and help to quiet that negative Nancy residing in your head. If you've been interested in working with a coach who is optimistic and authentic and empowers you to be as well, then schedule your free 30-minute chemistry session today by going to empoweredauthenticity.net. Again, that's empoweredauthenticity.net. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Empowered Authenticity, the podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Shopa. We did it, folks. We made it through Thanksgiving, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Now we just gotta get through Christmas. And I'll be honest, I'm a bit of a Grinch. I don't know when... I started my Grinchy ways, but I don't know, Christmas just seemed so artificial to me. And it always seemed like it was made up to be this great big deal. And then it was just kind of disappointing, I guess. That's not to say, if you love Christmas, like, good for you. Good for you. I I love that you love Christmas. It's not for me, though. And... I just want to take a moment to recognize that there are a lot of people out there, including myself, who struggle during the holiday season, whether that's because of seasonal affective disorder, or if it's because of grief, or anxiety, whatever it may be, I want you to know that you're not alone, even though sometimes it can feel like it. And it's okay to feel that way. We all process our grief and our discomfort in different ways. And there's nothing right or wrong about that. But I encourage everybody, hopefully you're doing this all year round, but particularly during this time of year, meet yourself with self-compassion, have empathy and kindness and curiosity for yourself and for others and give yourself grace because we're all very imperfect and none of us really know how to deal with a lot of things and we don't have to have all the answers we don't always have to be in a good mood so I hope that no matter what you do or don't celebrate that you are bringing kindness into the world first and foremost and that actually ties in really nicely with today's topic and let me tell you this is a heavy topic but it is so important and i couldn't have asked for a better guest today we are talking about death and grief And before I get too far in, I want to give a shout out to Kate Roberts. She is like the master connector of all people. (laughs) And she got me in touch with this week's guest. And I'm so incredibly grateful that she did because it was better and more profound than I ever could have asked for. And this conversation, even listening to it back, I was getting chills. And I took so much away from it. And so I urge you, if you are dealing with grief, no matter what stage you're at, please.
please listen to this episode. It's phenomenal. It truly is. It, it's a life-changing conversation for me. And I knew going into this podcasting journey that I was going to have very interesting and profound conversations, but this conversation truly changed my life. And it made me very curious about death. And almost immediately after I finished this interview, I started looking for TED Talks and books and anything I could get my hands on to learn about death rituals around the world. Because our guest says it better than me. But in the Western society, we have really detached ourselves from death and seemingly have tried to detach ourselves from the grieving process as well. And I would love to see a world in which we could have open, honest conversations about death and be able to carry our grief with us and not expect people to put it away and only bring it out when it's appropriate because that's really not how grief works. It's such a good, such a good conversation. My guest today is a death doula, and if you don't know what a death doula is, then you are in good company. I had not heard of the term until a few months ago when I was listening to the Toasted Sister podcast, um, which is all about indigenous foods, and one of the guests that came on was a death doula, and I had no idea what that was, but I was so curious, and when Kate told me she knew a death doula, it was... It was like kismet. And like I said, this guest did not disappoint. Our guest today is also the vocalist for a band called Casket Robbery. And she is so kind and so thoughtful and so authentic. I know that you are going to enjoy this episode. Please give a fantastic very warm welcome to today's guest, Megan Orvold. You have to press like three different buttons. It's really annoying. But <laughs> anywho, welcome to the podcast, Megan. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited. I have been looking forward to this um, <laughs> since uh, Kate dropped your name. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> very thankful to her. She's actually coming back um, this weekend to record another episode. Uh, so I'm super excited. Fantastic. I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be great. Um, but I brought you on because um, Kate shared with me that you are a death doula. Yes. And I feel like a lot of people are not familiar with that term. And honestly, I was not familiar with it until I heard it on um, a podcast about indigenous foods. And um, a guest on there was a death doula. And so every time that I excitedly tell somebody, ooh, I get to have a conversation with a death doula, they're like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm hoping that you can shed some light for us today um, and start by telling us, what is a death doula? Yes, absolutely. Um, so you, you're going to hear, it, and these terms are really interchangeable. Um, you'll hear death doula. You'll hear death midwife. Um, end of life companion, uh, just to name a few of them. But 
death duels are really um, having a movement right now. And it's, it's very exciting to be a part of. Um, I, I know a lot of us are familiar with, with birth doulas and everything that encompasses encompasses like really preparing the body, preparing the family, preparing the mother for giving birth. Mm -hmm. And, and we put a lot of effort into doing that. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, we don't really put a whole lot of effort or um, com have conversations regarding people transitioning and end of life matters and all of that stuff. So a death doula really is almost a bridge between medical and families and kind of fitting where things are slipping into the cracks for them. Um, it could be spiritual support. It could be um, helping getting paperwork done near end of life. It could be grief support, um, energy work. All of this stuff uh, kind of fits under that death doula umbrella. Um, and it's really exciting. It's it's just really that extra support for families and for a person dying. Um, that little extra at the end of their life. Yeah, that sounds so beautiful and I'm sure very <laughs> challenging. Um, and, you know, we, we briefly talked about, you know, our different experiences um, with, you know, recent deaths. And um, I think that, yeah, we don't, there's not a good way to like handle it. And it's really mm -hmm. hard to be like, okay, someone that you love and cared about has just died. And now you have to take care of all of these other things. And it's like, whoa, I'm just grappling with the fact that they are no longer here. And I mean, let alone the whole process of, you know, death can be really uncomfortable for the person experiencing it and for the family members. Um, so I am so glad that this is becoming um, more mainstream. And, you know, I I think it's a it's a great cause. Mm -hmm. Um so how did you get started as a death doula? Um, I've always had, uh, and I've, I've really learned now to stop being like, this is going to sound morbid. Um, because that's, I'm, I'm such a believer in, in there being a place for us to live our authentic selves in this whole world. And for me, um, that's being comfortable around death and it doesn't mean I'm not affected. Um, but I've always felt this draw towards end of life and and all of that encompasses and I remember hearing the term death doula and started doing some research on it and was like oh this sounds like you know it could be for me and it wasn't until um my my dad died last November um from a very very short um diagnosis of lung cancer small cell oh lung gosh. cancer and I was with him at hospice and his last night I sat with him and I'm reading a book and this book I'm reading is, is called accompanying the dying and I'm reading it and it's about, about end of life and doulas. And I'm kind of watching it slowly progress what I'm reading on the pages, what is actually happening. Um, and that was a really great support for myself that night. Moving forward, I I kind of found this thing 
happened to be online, um, a, a free training or a free kind of overview of what end of life doulas were. And I joined it and kind of got this overview of, of what it entails and things like that. And I find that the woman giving it was actually the author of that book that I was reading. So it kind of seemed, um, very kismet for myself. And I jumped in right away. Um, got my certification, did all of the things. And just, I have never felt so whole, like in this at all and being able to support people and be there. Um, yeah. So that's kind of what, what got me into it. My, my father's death was definitely the push that, um, that, that kind of got things started going. Yeah. That's, an amazing like everything <laughs> just falling into place like, yeah <laughs> that just sounds perfect um mm-hmm. you know in a very imperfect situation mm-hmm. um yeah similarly my dad had um oral cancer um mm-hmm. and it moved to his lung as well um and I think from the time he was diagnosed it was like 14 months uh, <sighs> to his death um yeah. So I feel you and I, I send my heart mm-hmm. out to you. I know it's hard. And Same. like, you know, you've just had the one year anniversary and it, it fucking sucks. Like yeah. there's, <laughs> there's no better way to say it. It just, there's not. <laughs> and that's, that's honestly, that's, uh, it's so funny you say that because that's what I, I, I don't sugarcoat this, this stuff and it, it, it sucks. All of it just, it's, it sucks. There's yeah. no, yes, I, I found um what I want to do and it kind of pushed me, but like no one needs to find a silver lining in grief or someone dying or someone that they love dying. It's, it's not, it's not something that needs to happen. It doesn't need to be pretty. And mine was not pretty. Um, I, I have, I have truly struggled this past year and this has really helped, um, and, and it's taught me a whole lot of things about being able to separate my own grief from all the families that I deal with right now. But yeah, there's no better way to say it than it just sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that was one of my questions for you, um, because that's another thing, you know, when I when I told my best friend like that I was talking to you and she said, I don't know that I could handle that mentally and emotionally. And I'm I'm right there. I'm very I'm very. um I'm an empath. And so if somebody's crying in the room, I'm likely tearing up as well, but I'm hiding it because I'm a a strong bitch. (laughs) Um, But so how do you kind of keep your grief separate from somebody else's and how do you protect your own mental and emotional state, especially considering that like it is still so raw? Um, A lot of times they kind of like the, they suggest that you don't really get involved for a year after. And, and I've never been one to fall under like the, the normal way of doing things. Um, but I have found, and this has been a work in progress for me. Um, boundaries, mm-hmm. boundaries are very, very huge. Um, I had never been good at setting them. I just haven't, I see someone in pain and I want to help. Um, and I went to my detriment sometimes, and it's taken a lot of me doing a whole lot of shadow work to figure out how I can 
separate myself um, as, as also an empath and a very, very emotional person. Um, I also get attached very, very quickly. And I think that is part of what I bring to the table as, as my own personal death doula ship. Um, that's, that's my part of my gifts. I think each of us as death workers, um, that's why the, the death doula movement is so amazing because each of us have separate gifts, um, to bring to this and no one is alike. We don't, we don't all do the same thing. So we have this umbrella of what death doulas do, but it's so much more. It's, it's, it's so vast. And, for myself, I have a lot of self-care. Um, you cannot do this without self-care. You cannot. Um, before I go, I I kind of um, think and release um, anything that I have afterwards, grounding, releasing everything, thanking um, everyone for me being able to be a part of, of what had transpired um, during that time. And just really, really being mindful of where my emotions are at. Um, I'm kind of navigating that tricky spot right now, being being a big milestone in my own grief this month. And I've taken on a lot. So I, I really make it a point to check in with myself and say, I think you should probably get in bed tonight. I think, I think maybe, maybe we just sleep. And that's okay. Or we journal for a little bit, or I have a grief journal that I write in, um, and just really checking in with myself because that's, that's the biggest thing, um, that I get told when I let people know what I do is, oh, I don't think I could do that. I'm an empath. And, and yeah, it's, it's not easy. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's so worth it. It really is. It sounds so rewarding. And it also sounds like for yourself, it's a lot of practicing self-compassion and mm-hmm. saying like, this is what I need at this moment. It's not right or wrong. It just is. Yep. Um, and I think that's really important for all of us. It's something that I'm certainly working on saying like, I'm not, I'm not where I want to be right now. And so mm-hmm. like, this is what I'm working with. So I applaud you for recognizing <laughs> that and taking the time for yourself. Um, so what are some common kind of misconceptions around like death and grief? Because I know I certainly had misconceptions. You know, I I think that people are well-intentioned when they share their experiences. Um, and so I had uh, my, my boss's boss at the time, um, her mom had gone through cancer and she said, you know, Oh, like a couple days before she died, she had so much energy, and then yeah, like her last hurrah, and yep. and she died. Yep. And so yeah. I, I definitely expected that. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, he's gonna have a bunch of energy one day. We're gonna be able to do all of his favorite things, and then a couple days later, he's going to say, "I'm ready," and we're all going to gather by his bedside, and we're going to watch him pass away peacefully. And that is not what happened. He suffered a lot, um, and then he had a, a very violent death. And I could not, I, I, I didn't know how to handle it um, because it was not, it's not what they show you in the movies. No. Like, so, <laughs> no. <laughs> so I'm curious, what are other misconceptions similarly to that that you've encountered that, and how do you address those kind of um 
I guess, uh, incongruities? It's that's a that's a really, really good question because it's not cookie cutter. It's not. Yeah, there's there's definitely signs. Um, what you described was uh, what we call the rally. Um, and a lot of people do that near the end. And, and sometimes it's so great. Sometimes we get them back for that little part. And sometimes it's hard because we get the false hope mm-hmm. that like, oh, oh, maybe not. Um, I think that where death doulas come into is that we can sit there with you. None of us are taught of, of end of life and what happens Mm -hmm. as someone is actively dying, Mm -hmm. um, what their needs might be, what a normal look is sounds. Sounds are a very, very big one and they can be so traumatic to families. Um, and that's that's a huge misconception, I think, is that it all follows this cookie cutter and very peaceful and, you know, they drift off. And that can happen and we all know that can happen. But we're not prepared when it doesn't happen that way. And I'm sure that leaves an imprint on you for that very violent death that you had to witness and creates even more death anxiety, which is another thing that we deal with um, because all of us have death anxiety at some point. Um a misconception, a big one about grief, I think, that I work really, really hard to talk about is that grief has to be fixed. Mm-hmm. And that we, we as people who love and, and love our loved ones who have lost someone or have people that love us, um, very well-intentioned, but we go towards you're uncomfortable and I don't like it. And, and I need to fix you. What can I do to fix this? And we can't, Mm -hmm. we can't fix this. We don't need to, um, they don't need us Mm -hmm. to, we don't need someone to fix it for us. And the biggest piece of advice is, is just to grief can be so isolating and, because we don't talk about it, I've, I've tried to be very transparent in mine. Um, it can be so, so isolating about the things that we deal with in it and, and death and not talking about it is making it worse. So sometimes we just need people to be there, um, to sit with us, not anything else. Um, so I think those are two of the biggest ones is, is, you know, we're not prepared. We're not prepared to watch our loved ones die. No, no one is. Um, we're not educated in any of it. And I am such a huge advocate for hospice and the things that they, they do. And what I love about being a doula is the partnership, bridging that, that medical and family and, and encompassing all of it together because these hospice nurses are so incredible but they are spread so thin mm-hmm. and they want to sit with families. They really want to and educate, but they, they just don't have, they're spread so thin. So that's where we pick up the cracks. I mean, we, we pick up everything that slips and answer the questions and sit and all of that. So, yeah. Yeah. That is, I, I think like you, you hit the nail on the head, so to speak. <laughs> um, yeah. Grief is, grief is fucking weird. It is. It, it's it, so it's, weird. Like, there's no way to adequately describe it. And um, 
yeah, I think that we are really uncomfortable with others being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And so it's our first inclination to go like, what can I do? Do you need a Band-Aid? Do you need a hug? Like, what do you need? When it's like, sometimes I don't know what I need. Yeah. No, especially then. No idea. It's no like idea. Some, <laughs> sometimes I just need to cry and I just want you there. Or yep. sometimes I just need to be alone. And yep. I need to like sit with my thoughts and like process and do what I need to do and take time for me. But it's hard when somebody says, oh, we'll just do this or just do that or it's been this long. That does not help. Like that that makes yep. somebody feel worse. Yep. And the way that they are feeling, the way that they are processing their grief is completely fine. Yep. Like I think that's so important to realize. So I have, you know, for my own friends and people that I care about, um, you know, I say I wish there was something that I could say or do to make it better. I know there's not but I can be here for you, whatever yep. that means. And I think that that's what I wanted to hear, you know? So I think that's really important. Um, so my other curiosity is how does someone, how does someone find a death doula? How do they connect with you? And is there an interview process? Like, what does all of that look like? Um, considering that, like, I feel like so many people could benefit from your work. Um, but it's not super well known just yet. So how does that process work? What does it look like? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I I started sharing about a lot of stuff and now I get uh, I'll get messages daily just about me being open about death and 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 being I, I don't want to say death positive, but yeah, like death positive and being able to talk about it. And um so I get a lot of people contacting me that way. Uh, there is a national end of life um, doula association. It's called NIDA. Um, and a lot of us have profiles on there. So that's always one way to look. Um, but yeah, it's it's a lot of word of mouth, to be honest. We're all out there. There's, there's a lot of us out there, um, especially right now and in so many different spaces too. Um, if I find that... I'm not suited for something um, that you need. I I know who to contact, mm -hmm. um, and that's really cool. The the uh, just the community. Um, so yeah, that's 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 a lot of it. Or if I don't know, I'm part of so many groups, and my my school that I went through for it, we all have a group together. So if we know someone that contacts us like in a different state where we're not able and they need actual physical people, um, we'll definitely contact all of each other and get, make sure whoever is looking for this gets the care that they need. Um, so that's really cool. I do some like, uh, even like remote video stuff support that way. Um, that's always really nice to be able to be connected, especially now through COVID stuff. Um, but yeah, I, otherwise I, I am at hospice a whole lot and just talking is, is how I meet the most people and educate people on what I do. <laughs> yeah. And I know you mentioned that, um, you went to school can you tell us, like, if somebody's interested in becoming a death doula, how do they go about that? You can be a death doula right now. Um, 
it doesn't take a whole lot um depending on what you're looking for and what you want to be your death doula ship could be you just volunteering at your local hospice could be doing things like that otherwise there are quite a few different um schools on becoming a death doula uh certifications things like that uh, it's really important that looking through all these, you kind of find an educator who you connect with. Um, there are quite a few people that I connect with. And luckily through Instagram, um, the whole like death worker movement is really, really large on there. And I've been lucky enough to come um, and be a part of a lot of theirs. So I'm, I'm very happy for that. But, but yeah, it's really just looking into um, the different schools. I, I went through quality of life uh, care. And I know quite a few other ones and yeah, that's, that's kind of all that is you get a, depending on what school you go through, you get a pretty rigorous training on, on all of the aspects on what you could be faced with as, as a doula. And then, um, mine, I, I had to write an essay and, and I elected to do the volunteer part of it. So yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's so interesting too. Like it's one of those it's one of those titles that you can kind of use in a way that suits you, which is nice. And so it's it's more of almost like a trait, I feel like. Yeah. Um, you know, because it kind of depends on like your presence and and the energy that you bring. Um going through the program and now working with patients what maybe surprised you? What did you not expect um, at, when you went into this? Um, I didn't expect that when, and now I've been with quite a few families who, um, who I've been there as, as they've died. Um, I didn't expect that I would know what to say or do mm-hmm. and that it just kind of flowed naturally and I think that's really important in this is um just knowing to, to sit with those people to walk alongside them um to go into all of this with curiosity and not expectation is is a really huge thing um I'm not there to fix any of these people I'm just honored to be able to be with them um, and that their families, you know, feel that I should be there. It's, it's really very rewarding. Um, I learn things constantly about myself, about the dying process and all of that. So I think that was the biggest shock to myself. I knew I was, I knew I was, comfortable about around it um I've been in a few situations now where there's so many different dynamics regarding um around end of life uh family conflicts a lot of anger things like that really knowing and being being able to tap into how you can diffuse situations and just like um be that thermostat in the room that can kind of help bring that down and make people feel comfortable um that was really surprising to me (laughs) yeah that's 
that's so interesting and it just seems like like it was just the natural path for you (laughs) and so I think that's really great um so something that um that you've brought up several times is that we're not prepared for death right like we don't talk about it we don't talk about what it looks like what it sounds like what we do um why do you think there's such a disconnect and what can we do to kind of bridge that gap and get that education um you know i don't think that uh, anxiety surrounding death is ever something that's going to go away completely because mm-hmm. we all you know for most of us we we want to live yep you know it's it's what our body drives us to do mm-hmm. um but i'm just curious what can we do to kind of better prepare ourselves and talk about it more i think we're doing it um and and i think that's that's a, a lot of uh death doulas like myself really want to get into uh the education part and the and the facilitate facilitating conversations regarding it um i have two and i'm with me i have two card games um like a deck of cards almost that asks you just these questions about death and i'll post them on my facebook page every week and the responses i get from these questions are just fantastic and people look forward to them now um death itself is still seen as a medical failure in modern medicine death is a failure and and a lot of doctors take that on there we we pump people um it, we get into weird conversations kind of of what when is too much um all of that because it's become so blurred and we've kind of made death almost um sterilized mm-hmm. being able to put it behind these curtains and a lot of us don't know that immediately when our person passes or when we pass that, you know, they get carted away right away. We don't have to see the, we have that disconnect from what really happens. And that perpetuates anxiety and fear. And most of us don't know that we're allowed to sit with our person for as long as we want. We're allowed to help. Um, wash bodies we're allowed to have home funerals which sound really morbid um to to a a lot of us who just that's not a normal thing um but the traditions surrounding all of these things that the connections to the dead from our ancestors and things like that um were so very beautiful when you look at that stuff and it sounds so strange because we've we've had this disconnect and we've we've we, we don't know better um, and we're not educated in any of that or any of the traditions and they've kind of just fallen away. And I think that's why we, it's, it's become kind of commercialized. And I remember the hospice nurse asking me um, if I wanted to help with my dad and I did. I thought I felt like I needed to, like that was a gift. That was something. And um, at the time I was so distraught and 
I remember my aunt saying that she didn't think she could, so she needed to leave. And then I immediately, I was like, oh, maybe if she can't, I should, maybe I shouldn't, maybe, maybe this is something I shouldn't. And I'll tell you, that's my, my one regret. I made the best choice for myself in that moment that I could have. And I'm at peace with that. I really am. But it's something, it's a gift I wish I would have given and something I didn't even know that was a thing that we're allowed to do. We're, we're allowed to connect. We're allowed to stay with our people. Um, and I think that having these conversations and, and being open about what really happens and realizing that all of us go through this and all of us carry this around every day because you know as well as I do that our grief does not go away. The fact that we lost our person does not get better. We carry it and it comes in waves some days. And some days it's a little lighter, but I think realizing all these weird things that grief and death makes us do and having conversations about what, what is, what really happens, um, really just facilitates a little less anxiety. And that's Mm -hmm. what I hope. That's really just what I hope. Yeah, I so as I've gotten older, I've gotten more emotional. So I am tearing up, uh, <laughs> but in a good way, just because I think it's it's so beautiful. And I, I appreciate you sharing so candidly um, and and so profoundly as well. So I appreciate that. Um, and it, it is kind of fitting that we're having this conversation today, you know, with yesterday being uh, the day of the dead. Um, and mm-hmm. So, yeah, when I think about traditions surrounding death and and honoring our loved ones who have who have passed on um you know in in certain cultures they have very beautiful traditions and you know they get their ofrendas and they create you know kind of an offering to them um and i feel like we we really miss out on that in our current western culture and even um you know, I, so I lived in a house for a while that um, was, was old and had two doors because they would hold funerals in their home. And so you'd go in one door and then go out the other yeah. so that you could view the body. Um, and I don't know anybody who's had a home funeral. And I think a lot of people would not want to because we are so uncomfortable with yeah. the idea of the dead body of our loved one being there. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I'm interested to see if we see some kind of a resurgence of, of rituals such as that. And I also think too, though, that we, our society is not really set up in a way to allow us to express our grief. You know, I when we talked earlier, we talked about, you know, uh, bereavement leave. Yeah. So you might get only, you know, two to five days and then you got to be back in the office. Yeah. Even though you may have just lost your partner, you may have just lost a parent, a child. It's that's impossible. Yep. That is impossible. And then especially if you're in industries where they expect you to show up and 
be cheery and kind and do your best work. And I feel so grateful that I worked for a company and I worked for a team where I could show up and say, I'm not my best self yet. I'm still dealing with this. There are going to be days that are harder than others. And so know that if I seem like I'm not showing up and doing my best, it's because I'm not. And, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have been around empathetic folks who could understand that. And it breaks my heart knowing that that's not the case everywhere. And so I would love to see more empathy brought into more workplaces and more legislation around bereavement leave yes. and letting there be more flexibility because we all know we all need different things. Um, so, but yeah, I think that if we could bring back some of these rituals, it would mm-hmm. help us to better understand death, get more comfortable with it. It's never going to be easy. It It's not. Losing someone that you love is never going to be easy. But I think that we can all come together and have conversations like we are now and, you know, make it less taboo. Yes. Yes. Even though it is it is hard and it is sad and it is guttural, it doesn't necessarily have to be morbid. It doesn't have to be, you know, just the worst thing in the world. It can be something beautiful. It can be something healing. Um, and it can still be hard as fucking hell. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think about, like, I mean... I don't take pride in this. I'm very good at masking with, with the job that I do during the day um, and had to be. And I think about myself and what I feel with my own grief on my bad days and putting that face out to the world, that mask that I have to wear at certain times. Um, and I think about how many people are doing that at a certain time. And the empathy that you talked about and the compassion that, hi, we're, we're all constantly losing people. Mm-hmm. We are. We're all constantly grieving. And until that grief model that you go through steps of grief makes me want to scream. <laughs> yes, I agree. There's no steps. You don't, there's, there's certain things that those fall into. Yeah. But it's not something to win. We don't win at grief. We don't get over. We don't get a gold star. It will constantly be a wave. And and just you you swim through what you can at the time. And I wish more of us would have that compassion. uh, Just even, even with grief, just what people are dealing with, especially this past year and a half, Mm -hmm. um, on a daily basis. And be able to talk about it more because holy crap, we're all doing it. <laughs> um, and we're just making it harder by not. So I I love the we even we even use that term morbid. Mm-hmm. If you talk about death too much. Yep. I talk about death so much. <laughs> I talk about it so much. I am the weirdo. And <laughs> and uh I long so much if I want to do anything, 
it's to just be able to facilitate conversations regarding like the normalcy of death and and it fucking sucks death sucks it does but it's not a failure right it's not a failure on our part it's not a failure on their part it just is Mm -hmm. and you don't have to find beauty in it i find beauty in certain parts and some of them are very, very ugly and scary. But if we just help each other advocate for our good death, you know, it, uh, I think it'll just slowly get better. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah, at least definitely. build more community. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um yeah and you know it's interesting too i feel like especially with cancer people say like oh they they lost their battle with cancer or oh they beat cancer and i'm like my dad did not lose shit like no no yeah he did not lose a fight cancer came for him like a thief in the night and that's and that was just it and so it drives me crazy and i understand i understand that Cancer is a hard thing to deal with, but it kind of feels like a stab in the gut sometimes when you hear somebody say, I beat cancer or so-and-so beat cancer or so-and-so lost their battle. It's yes, it, it's just like, nope, nope, don't like that. So I love what you're saying that death isn't a failure. It just is. We and- are working so hard to change that language and all of these these euphemisms, these these cliches that we are shoved down our throat regarding death and dying and sickness and disease and all of that. And the I feel you, that losing the battle one, that was one that came up with this last probably six months in, in some of my training and in some of the classes that I've attended outside of this, the language regarding how we talk surrounding death. Mm-hmm. Um even going into suicide, mm-hmm. saying died by suicide instead mm-hmm. of committed suicide. Mm-hmm. That language is so important. And and us being, just acknowledging and catching where we're saying those certain things. Um, I, I've even tried, I try very hard to, to use the word death. Mm-hmm. Um, we say, oh, I, I lost. I, I, my, my dad died. And, yep. and, and the more we create, we, we perpetuate this fear around the word death and dying. We're just, we're just keeping that cycle going of anxiety and, and fear and taboo and all of that. And that losing the battle, I'll tell you right now, that is huge. That is a just, yeah, they, they fought, but no, 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 no. No, I'm glad we could no commiserate in this. <laughs> yeah, no one lost that battle. No, it no. wasn't something to win or lose. It it was a disease, and it did its thing, mm-hmm. and and we couldn't have stopped it. Exactly. And for some reason, we're we're not we're not supposed to, and and. 
that's a hard shitty thing to realize because sometimes I get angry. Mm -hmm. um, oh, me too. A woman at for for whatever reason, I it's the empath thing and the the medium thing that I get people just want to let me know things. And a woman in a grocery store wants um, the the cashier let me know that she was celebrating because her husband, who was I I don't know a lot older at the time, had just won his battle with can with lung cancer with small cell lung cancer, and I went out to my car and I screamed. Mm -hmm. And I said, why? Why him? My dad was 57. Why? Why not my dad? And mm -hmm. I was so angry. And I remember I, I was like, I need to film this because this is raw. And, mm -hmm. and I need to be transparent in my grief and show people that it's okay to be angry. And in the middle of me filming that and crying and screaming at this camera, a cardinal... <laughs> came right up to my window and sat there <laughs> and I lost it. I'm laughing and I'm like, all right, all right, I'll shut up. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't about me. <laughs> Fine, I hear you. <laughs> and I think I just even, it's just grief is weird. Death is weird. Yeah. You know, and we got to talk about it. Yeah. We just got to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I hope it is like in an ideal future. I hope that we're able to have college courses that are mandatory about life and death. And yep. I, because when somebody is, is sick, that's not the time that somebody wants to hear about death. You know, yep. it's necessary, but I know, um, you know, w with the experience that I had with my, my dad and, and my bonus mom, anytime things like hospice and he was eventually uh, put into palliative care and she said, oh, well, they're just giving up on him. Um, right. And it, that's not what it was. They were trying to make him comfortable. Mm -hmm. Um. And so I think that the earlier we can have these conversations, the earlier we can start to address what is happening and make strides towards not people being comfortable, but people being more knowledgeable and being able to advocate and say, you know, this is my death plan or this is how I want my loved one to be cared for. This is how I want my loved one to be remembered. Mm -hmm. I think that could be really empowering for helping people through their grief process, not fixing it, but letting them actively play a role in it. Yep. So all of that to say, I am so grateful mm -hmm. for the work that you are doing. And I'm also extremely grateful that you agreed to come on my podcast. Mm -hmm. um, so I always uh, end every interview uh, by asking is there any place that you want folks to follow you and support your work? Um, I am on everything. <laughs> um, you can you can follow me on Instagram. Um, I know that's where you found me. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of slowly integrating a business page for all of this stuff. But um, I any questions? Just just you can 
follow my tag or whatever. I'm sure it'll be in this and Facebook, all of it. I'm literally everywhere because of my darn band. I have to be on everything. So um, if you want to talk, I want to listen. So yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Megan. And I really look forward to seeing everything that that you're doing. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Empowered Authenticity, the podcast. Please make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like more content from Empowered Authenticity, make sure to follow on Instagram at empowered underscore authenticity. We'll see you next week. What if our most intimate items were made as beautiful as the ones we displayed with the most pride? Lilo has established a heritage based on quality, on unexpected innovation, and on being entirely different from everything and everyone else. Lilo is driven by an insatiable curiosity. That's what makes them unique, different, and uniquely different. Their uniqueness is rooted in a design-led approach to all products. This means they can offer their customers new sensations before they even know they want them. Lilo does everything they can to turn your desires into reality. So I have the Lilo Sona Cruise 2, and it is my most powerful vibrator and gives me the most intense orgasms like so intense that it's a one and done situation and i highly recommend it if you enjoy clitoral stimulation it sends kind of like air vibrations and it's just really beautiful it's fun it is quiet it is like a go-to if i want to have like a really good orgasm Uh, i'm also really curious about the lilo soreo wave It's a luxurious rabbit massager and it has clitoral vibration and it also has um, like a waving movement for internal G-spot stimulation. Um, So that's definitely um, on my Christmas list. (laughs) But they have so many great products. They are all beautiful. They're all really well made, high quality. Um, I recommend Lilo to everybody. They offer a variety of beautiful, high quality products for solo play, partners, anal play, and more. Visit the link in this week's episode description to find the Lilo product that's right for you.